Okay, kid. Some baby boomers are retiring to their alma maters. Well, not the college, but the town. And with university enrollments down nationwide, this college town is offering incentives for people to move there. We have three programs, and you are able to participate in all three. So if you do that, you could potentially get up to $11,000 to purchase a home here in the city limits. That's Ashley Gibson, city planner for the 22,000 community of Carbondale, Illinois. Next, let's cover retirement. Many boomers are ready to retire, right? As he said, Mark said, uh, they're ready to retire until they're not. Mark Miller is the host of the popular podcast, Repurpose Your Career. We'll hear from Mark what the pandemic did to boomers and the rest of the country. And tax deadline is less than a month away, and AARP will have some tips for you. Medicare plans to negotiate prices with the pharmaceutical companies. Plus, we'll cover the pandemic and your mental health and family caregiving right now, because the news is next. Boomer News from OK Boomer. For the first time in history, Medicare will have the ability to negotiate lower prescription drug prices because of the Inflation Reduction Act, the historic law which lowers health care and prescription drug prices. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the CMS, issued initial guidance detailing requirements and perimeters, including requests for public comment on key elements of the new Medicare drug price negotiation program for 2026. That's the first year the negotiated prices will apply. Alongside other provisions in the new drug law, the Medicare drug price negotiation program will strengthen Medicare's ability to serve people currently in Medicare and for generations to come. CMS is seeking comment on the recent guidance. Comments received by April 14, 2023, will be considered for revised guidance. CMS anticipates issuing revised guidance for the first-year negotiation uh, during the summer of 2023. The coronavirus pandemic has been associated with worsening mental health among people in the United States and around the world. In the U.S., the COVID-19 outbreak in early 2020 caused widespread lockdowns and disruptions in daily life while triggering a short but severe economic recession that resulted in widespread unemployment. Three years later, Americans have largely returned to normal activities, but challenges with mental health remain. Here's a look at the surveys by Pew Research Center and other organizations have found about Americans' mental health during the pandemic. These findings reflect a snapshot in time, and it's possible that attitudes and experiences have been changing since these surveys were uh, fielded. It's also important to note that concerns about mental health were common in the U.S. long before the arrival of COVID-19. Now, at least four in 10 U.S. adults, that's 41 percent, have experienced high levels of psychological stress at some point during the pandemic. That's according to four Pew Research Center surveys conducted between March 2020 and September 2022. And for your children and grandchildren, more than a third of high school students have reported mental health challenges during the pandemic. In a survey conducted by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention from January to June 2021, 37% of students at public and private high schools said their mental health was not good most or all the time. That was during the pandemic. That included roughly half of girls, 49%, and about a quarter of boys, 24%. Now, we'll hear in a few minutes from podcaster Mark Miller about how the pandemic has affected boomers financially. We go on. 
The unpaid work provided by family caregivers is valued at an estimated $600 billion, according to the latest report in AARP's Valuing the Invaluable series. This is a $130 billion increase in unpaid contributions from family caregivers since the last report was released in 2019. The economic impact of $600 billion is more than all out-of-pocket spending on health care in the U.S. in 2021. This report highlights trends in family caregiving, explores the growing scope and complexity of family caregiving, and discusses actions needed to address the financial, social, and emotional challenges of caring for parents, spouses, and other loved ones. By 2034, adults age 65 and older will outnumber children under the age of 18 for the first time. The share of available family caregivers is projected to continue shrinking relative to the number of older adults who will potentially need long-term care. In addition, family caregivers will continue to face the dual demands of employment and caregiving responsibilities, which often include caring for an older adult and child simultaneously. For more details on that, Check out aarp.org. Okay, here's a scenario. Someone knocks on your door wearing a hard hat and says he's a utility worker and offers to do a free energy audit or inspect equipment. Do you let him in? The answer is no. Imposter scams take on many faces, including those of utility workers. Here are some red flags that a utility scam is in the works. It's a red flag if... A person unexpectedly shows up posing as a utility worker and offers to do a free energy audit or inspect equipment. It's a red flag if you get a call or email saying you've overpaid your utility bill and your banking or credit card information is needed so you can be sent a refund. And it's also a red flag if someone tries to convince you the lights will go out and the water will be turned off because of an unpaid bill and pressures you to immediately wire money or purchase a gift card to pay your account. If you encounter any of these situations, call or email your utility company and let them know a scammer is making the rounds pretending to be an employee. For more tips on avoiding imposter scams, go to aarp.org slash fraudwatchnetwork. More from AARP, some older adults qualify for special tax breaks. Find out if you're taking advantage of all the tax benefits available to you. AARP once again has the details. Here are your AARP top tips on tax advice for older adults. The IRS gives special breaks to older adults. As you prepare your taxes, here are four ways you can trim that total. Consider the standard deduction rather than the itemized one. People who are 65 and older get a larger standard deduction, $1,300 more per person if you're married and $1,650 more if you're filing a single. The standard deduction is simpler than itemizing and usually results in lower taxes. Itemizing your deductions may require you to tally up lots of receipts, but if you have lots of deductions such as business expenses, mortgage interest, and charitable donations, itemizing might be worth the extra work. Which brings us to our next tip. Itemize and deduct medical expenses if you have big healthcare costs exceeding 7.5% of your adjusted gross income. You may want to forego the standard deduction so you can deduct some of those medical expenses. Doctor's bills, wheelchairs, dental care, hearing aids, guide dogs, eyeglasses, nursing help, even some insurance premiums are all deductible and will help reduce your taxable income, so keep those receipts. Get the tax credit for the elderly or disabled with low income. 
A credit comes straight off your tax payment, so this is a powerful one. You have to be 65 or older or disabled and with qualifying low income to get it. The tax credit ranges from $3,750 to $7,500. Contribute more to your IRA. If you're 50 or older and have a traditional IRA, you can contribute up to $7,000 per year. Traditional 401k plans also allow people 50 and over to pitch in additional contributions. Both of these types of additional contributions could lower your taxable income. If you can afford it, tax experts say go for the max. For more tips to help you with your taxes, visit aarp.org taxes. And maybe you don't want to do your taxes by yourself. Any U.S. taxpayer is eligible for the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance as long as they make less than $58,000 and take the standard deduction. Now, the College of Business and Analytics at Southern Illinois University is part of that program. SIU business students will offer the free tax preparation services from 9 until 1 in the computer lab on the lower level of Wren Hall, 1025 Lincoln Drive at SIUC. Laura Lee Glick, a junior accounting major and one of the coordinators of the VITA program, uh, gives us the directions. We are preparing um, at Wren Hall at SIUC, at Southern Illinois University Carbondale. And um, Wren Hall is very easy to find on Google Maps or whatever map you use. Um, and we'll be in the basement, but we have people to lead you to our location. So it's very easy to find. That's for VITA tax preparation at SIU. But if you live anywhere else in the U.S. and want to take advantage of VITA, contact your local college, university, or public library. Well, data from the U.S. Census Bureau shows that there are 76.4 million American baby boomers in the U.S. Now, what are many boomers worried about? Devalued stock portfolios, vanishing pension funds, and the future of Social Security. According to the New York Times, large numbers of baby boomers plan to keep working through their retirements, and they also plan to lower their expenditures by moving to less expensive college towns, such as Carbondale, Illinois, with a population of 22,000. Recently, I spoke with Ronnie LaForge, public relations officer of the city of Carbondale, senior city planner, and... I am Ashley Gibson. I'm a planner with the Community Development Office here at the city, and I focus on housing and preservation. Now, I've noticed here, because there's a lack of students, a lot of these older houses are in poor repair. How are you handling that here in Carbondale? That's a very good observation. So we have a few programs designed to do just that. Um, our big one that we do is single-family conversion. So any home that was previously a rental that is converted to a single-family home, the city will give you $5,000 for the purchase of that property. Now, I, I assume in some cases that would be attractive to a boomer, somebody over 60. I would hope so, yes. Attractive to um, anyone of any age if you're looking to buy a, a property. Um, we have a second program that's down payment assistance for first-time home buyers. So um, maybe you're new to the area or looking to come to the area, and that's something that we as a city would like to attract residents here. Um, so if you're looking at purchasing a property, um, that down payment assistance might be very attractive to you as well. It's first time home buyer in the city of Carbondale. So if you're outside of city limits and you're looking to move inside city limits, maybe for the walkability and the rollability of our community, um, and you're just looking to be in more of a focal point, that's a great um, thing to note is that those housing programs are for first time city of Carbondale homeowners. Okay, now I'm originally from, and I don't want to swear in your presence, uh, Chicago. <laughs> now there, 
from what I've heard, there are Chicagoans who want to leave the city because, you know, it's expensive, the suburbs are expensive. They could avail themselves of moving down here to Carbondale, I would assume, with this deal you have. That is correct. So let me make that even more attractive. We have three programs and you are able to participate in all three. So if you do that, you could potentially get up to $11,000 to purchase a home here in the city limits. I think that's a pretty good deal. Now, of course, there's a lot of boomers who are downsizing, but I could see that they could downsize from a, a large home, say, in the suburbs to a small house here in Carbondale. Correct. Yeah. So, um, again, if you're looking for property, you know, you can always call the Community Development Office and we can explore some of those grant um, opportunities that we have available. The third one I'd like to mention is a curb appeal program. So if you already own a home, we do have a program for you, too. It's not just for new uh, homeowners. The curb appeal aims to increase that exactly what it says, curb appeal, the, the exterior of your home. So maybe you need a new roof, maybe you're looking at new siding, maybe windows. Um, those are all things that we would like to help get paid for. Uh, so we're gonna match you a certain percentage of that project uh, to incentivize that upkeep, that maintenance, that curb appeal aspect. And also, um, you know, looking at increasing um, utility costs, some of those things might help with those utility costs going up. So that's something that we take very seriously here in helping our residents that are already homeowners. Now, I lived in uh, Tennessee for about 22 years in the Nashville area, and the cost in Nashville is going up. A lot of people are moving here. I was going to move to Chattanooga, but I came back here to my alma mater, and I wasn't thinking, and boom, I'm back. That happens to the best of us. I know. <laughs> But you get a boomer who wants to come back here. What about the cost of living in Carbondale compared to, say, Chicago? Well, I am born and raised, so the cost of living here is uh, what I know. Um, I think we've been really well insulated from some of that inflation that other parts of the country are seeing. Our cost of living is relatively low. Um, even our housing market reflects that. So um, you can get more bang for your buck here versus other places, including Chicago. Thank you. Okay, now do we have anything else? Yes, you have. You, you raised your hand. If you're on a fixed income, like... Me. <laughs> like some, yeah, some people who are over the age of 60. Boomers, okay, boomers. boomers. Uh, you said it. Um, for, the, for that population, if you're on a fixed income, Carbondale is a wonderful place to be. We have a very low cost of living, and not to mention from people like who are from Chicago. Um, don't say it so loud. <laughs> yeah, don't say it so, so for people who are from Chicago area, they also find that the temperatures here are just much more pleasant. Mm -hmm. Getting around is easier. Going to the grocery store, people are friendlier. Mm -hmm. But I've never lived in Chicago. I'm also from here, so this is what I've been used to. But I hear this from a lot of people who are moving to Carbondale. But Lauren could speak. She's not lived in Carbondale her whole life. Where have you lived? So most recently, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, beautiful, great community, got nothing on Carbondale, uh, but I am born and raised in southern, southern Wisconsin. Um, and in moving here, I have to say, something that's astonishing is our fall in Carbondale. We get a whole season of fall. I mean, that's incredible. Usually it happens in the blink of an eye up north, but here we get to see the colors. Um, you know, our outdoor recreation opportunities are just unmatched. Regarding uh, the high costs of living, um, I can only really give a teaser 
And so I hope, I hope folks take this and know that it's a, it's a teaser. I wish I could say more. But one of my goals in approaching um, the, the City of Carbondale's Sustainability Action Plan is prioritizing people, right? This plan comes from our City Council, comes from our Sustainability Commission, of which we have vacancies, might I add. We have vacancies across the board with our, our commissions. We'd love to see some more um, membership. One of my top priorities is to say, looking at our community members, especially those who are on fixed incomes, how can we reduce the volatility of costs of living? Um, and one of those costs of living is energy. And so the teaser I'm going to put out there is please pay attention to what the planning department, the community development department is doing in relation to, uh, in relation to volatility of costs of living within, say, the next six months. Pay attention, um, because I think you'll be very pleased with some of the some of the uh, the projects that come forth. That was Lauren Becker, Molly Maxwell, Ashley Gibson, and Ronnie LaForge of the City of Carbondale, Illinois. And for people listening to us on the podcast, it's located 50 miles to the north of where the Mississippi and Ohio rivers converge, and just north of Shawnee National Forest. And oh yes, uh, Carbondale, home of Southern Illinois University, is 350 miles south of Chicago. Now, looking at college towns, what you see are several advantages over other towns, arts and cultural activities, walkability and bike trails, education, volunteer opportunities, hospitals and medical centers, and home prices are low, as we've heard. Music time on OK Boomer. Roger Ramjet, and uh, Roger used to work at uh, WIDB, the student station at SIU. Roger features a song periodically. This one is one of my favorites. Sweet Talking Woman was a number 17 hit for the Electric Light Orchestra and the third of six ELO favorites on my playlist. Jeff Lynn wrote this song, which was originally called Dead End Street, but he didn't like the way it turned out, so the lyrics were rewritten. R-R-P. Here's Sweet Talking Woman from the Electric Light Orchestra. Thank you. 
Out of the past, 1979. Oh, sweet talking woman. Courtesy of the Jets. I remember hearing that song at a radio station, Mason City, Iowa, in the 70s. I was a news person, and I always heard the monitor of the disc jockeys on the air, and I really enjoyed that song. Okay, time to get up. Oh, here's a story. Uh, the ability to multitask while walking starts declining by age 65. Well, not in my case. All right, I'm going to get up, and we're going to take a walk. Right, Sharon? Okay, Boomer. <laughs> Uh-oh, I think she's anticipating something. All right, let's get up. Oops. It's not my fault. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, Middle-aged adults may have a harder time walking and talking, among other activities. At the same time, a full decade before the traditional old age threshold of 65? Yeah, 65. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm I trying to read this thing as I'm walking along. And ah! oh, I'm sorry, Jerry. Oh, my gosh, he was carrying a vase. Well, get up, you'll be okay. Take a few aspirin. and uh, Anyway, uh, the decline is caused by changes in brain function, not changes in physical condition, according to the study. Uh, difficulties walking and talking at the same time among some part... Whoops, I stopped. Among some participants of the study could be a sign of accelerated brain aging, lead researcher Zhong Zhou said in a press release. Dual tasking difficulties can also... I'm going to start walking again. Can also, can also, oh, unsteadiness for those, I'm not making any sense. Other activities that become harder to do while walking include reading signs and broadcast copy. Okay, we're here in the coffee room. Uh, let's uh, get the coffee going. Oops, the wrong button. Hey, everybody, it's the White Raven from the Hot, Hot, Hot Louisiana Gumbo Pot right here on WDBX, Sundays, 12 to 2. Join me and all the Gumbo Pot heads where I'll be bringing you all the best music from Louisiana, New Orleans, the Bayou, with a little bit of Delta Blues thrown in for good measure. So all you swamp rats, grab your Zydeco shoes, meet me in the Gumbo Pot at high noon. We always pass a good time, Chef. Peace, love, and Zydeco. Aye! Hi, I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. The world is dark enough. So we like to keep it fun and light. Join us for 30 minutes of fact-filled fun every week. On the Off-Ramp Trivia Podcast. You'll hear fascinating facts about history, music, discovery, weird animals, and everything in between. Including little-known facts about well-known people. Each week. Right here on The, the Off-Ramp. Off-Ramp. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or visit us online at theofframp.show. Are you an aspiring author looking to get your book published? Look no further than Tech Time Publishing Company. At Tech Time, we specialize in bringing the best books to readers everywhere. Our team of experienced editors and designers work closely with authors to bring their stories to life, ensuring every book is of the highest quality. But that's not all. TechTime also offers a unique service to translate and narrate books and revenue sharing. This means that our talented team of translators and narrators will be compensated with a share of the book sales. So whether you're an author, translator, or narrator, TechTime is the place to be. Join our community of book lovers and let us help you bring your stories to the world. Visit our website today to learn more. That's techtime.it. TechTime.it. Dot IT. 
let's have a sip of our coffee. Mm. We have next the off-ramp. Now, here's the question. What started the uh, Salem witch trials? What did these kids eat? That's right. It was a food that started all out. And it wasn't funny brownies. Nope. Something else. Okay, Marcia, what food is blamed for helping cause the Salem witch trials? Say again. What, what? food uh-huh. is blamed for helping cause the Salem oh, witch trials? Oh, 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 it was something. Did the ladies... Uh, the ladies had symptoms. They had hallucinations. Yes, they, yeah, I was going to say, did they eat poppies or something? They uh, ate something. And it gave, made them act a little weird, and so they Oh, they acted they weird. Them. They had hallucinations, yeah. incomprehensible yeah. speech, Some kind of, unusual skin sensations, and yeah. they were all likely caused by ergot poisoning from infected rye bread. Rye bread? Rye bread, your favorite, <laughs> which explains so many things that happen around this house. Ergot is a fungus that infects cereal grasses like wheat and rye. I am itching. And it also contains some pretty potent chemicals, including lysergic acid, a substance that years later was used to produce LSD. Jeez. So that's why those ladies got so crazy. Didn't any guys get crazy? Didn't they eat rye bread? They were not just women. All right, back to the arcane. What event precipitated the creation of the Geico Gecko? The Geico Gecko. What event? Uh-huh. Was it a world event? No, it was more like the United States, 1998. 1998? I don't know. What would it be? And you're part of this group. Oh, dear. Yes. The gecko was born during the Screen Actors Guild strike oh. in 1999, which <laughs> prevented the hiring of live actors. And the first campaign all centered around educating the public on the mispronouncing or misspelling of the company. Everybody said gecko insurance, gecko insurance. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> so, he was a gecko, right? Yeah, so they, they they cleared that up with a geico gecko. It's not gecko, it's geico. <laughs> and here's an interesting fact. Initially, he had a posh British voice of Fraser's Kelsey Grammer. He did the voice. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, but eventually they wanted to make the gecko more friendly with a more casual Cockney accent, like, you know, the friendly lizard next door. So Of now, course, yes. <laughs> and that's what he's got today. All lizards I've ever seen were Cockneys, <laughs> the ones that spoke to me anyway. <laughs> the friendly lizard oh, next door. Oh, dear. So uh, Kelsey Grammer was the original voice yeah. of the Geico Gecko. Yeah. I did I'd not I'd like know to hear that. that. Yeah. Very different approach, I'm uh-huh. sure. Maybe more dramatic. Yeah. (laughs) Remember the 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake and that deadly tsunami? Yes. The huge wave and overpowered all those islands and so forth. How powerful was it compared to the first atomic bomb on Hiroshima? Oh, really? Yeah. Was it twice as strong? It was more than that. Really? How much? 550 million times more energy than the Hiroshima atomic bomb. Are you kidding me? 550 million times more energy than the first atomic bomb. They said that's enough energy to power the United States for 370 years. And the explosion from the earthquake was so powerful, it altered the Earth's rotation, shortening the length of the day by 2.6 microseconds. Oh, I noticed it. I oh, noticed it. That's from the book, Are You Kidding Me? I knew by, I was uh, getting less sleep after Harry that Bright event. Harry and Jacob Answer. Jeez. Okay. Okay, Bob, let's get back to serious stuff. Oh, I'm sorry. In 1954, a young boy who liked to draw smiley faces on frosty windows 
What famous character did his dad create from that? Oh, that had to be the uh, Kool-Aid face. All right, face. one for the bobble. Okay, so that was a kid did that on... Well, yeah, he, he would do it in frosty windows, and his dad thought it was kind of cute, and he created the happy-go-lucky Kool-Aid pitcher man. <laughs> what was his dad, a, a graphic designer for an ad agency? Yeah, yeah, and 20 years later, he was given arms and legs, and he made his first TV commercial. And he's still popular, still around. He's on all the packages of Kool-Aid, and they even have pictures with his cute little face on it. I'll be darned. So a kid came up with that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yes, it is. Well, a kid didn't come up with this. Okay. What mood-stabilizing drug was once in the recipe for the soft drink 7-Up? Oh, well, I know it was uh, Coke had cocaine in it. I don't know. Lithium. Lithium. (laughs) The original recipe for the soft drink 7-Up contained lithium citrate, a mood-stabilizing drug. Today it's used for bipolar disorder, something that used to be called manic depression. Speaking of depression, 7-Up was launched two weeks before the stock market crashed in 1929. It's it's good. (laughs) Let's face it. You got a couple of world wars. You got the depression. They needed some uh, lithium back then. (laughs) Don't you think? Now everybody just goes to therapists now. But back then. Let's have some soda pop, shall Let's we? Let's have some 7-Up. <laughs> oh, the stock market crash. Let's have a 7-Up. Oh, my. Well, it, it helped, apparently. Oh, it really calms you down. Who knew? All right, Bobby, which of these things were invented by ancient Egyptians? All right. Was it toothpaste, scissors, prosthetics, solar calendar, or marshmallows? I'll say uh, solar calendar is not the one they did. But, but they came up with everything else, including marshmallows. <laughs> marshmallows? Really? They the Egyptians? They're roasting weenies and marshmallows at the pyramids? Hey, you got to kill time when you're not carrying 10-ton bricks on your back. Jeez. Oh, actually, it was all of those things. So They invented know. all those things? Yes, they did. Wow. But out of all of them, I guess the thing that amazed me the most was the prosthetics. Scientists found the prosthetic toe of a woman who lived from about 950 to 710 B.C. The toe was made of part leather and part wood, and it was thought to be tied onto her foot or her sandal with a string, which would have improved her ability to walk properly, her big toe. That's what a toe would do, yes. Yeah. But they found an actual big toe prosthetic. Yeah, yeah. In Egypt, ancient Egypt. Ancient, ancient. Wow. 950 to 710 B.C. I thought you were going to put the iPhone in that list. I was going to say, I think the iPhone, (laughs) the iPhone they did not invent. But yeah, the toothpaste, marshmallows. Toothpaste too, huh? Yeah. So they, they invented something that was a paste with to brush your teeth instead yes. of using yes. urine like the Romans did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, that was swell. Okay. Okay, Marcia, we've recently did uh, word origins and questions and phrases, so I've uh-huh. uh, got a couple more here for you. Push the envelope. Where does that come from? Well, I, mm, push, the, push, the, push envelope. the envelope. Well, early mailmen used to take the mail out of the mailbox, and if they didn't want to carry the heavy load, they, they would just push pushed it to it, the back of the pushed, box. Uh, you have such great and ideas. It was put, and putting your job on the line because you weren't delivering that day. No, that comes from the aeronautic industry. A flight envelope is a term. Oh, that's right. <laughs> a flight envelope is the term meaning the boundary or limit of performance for a flight vehicle. And the envelope can be described in terms of mathematical curves based on things like speed and thrust and atmosphere. You push the envelope as far as you can to discover what the limits are. And Tom Wolfe and the right Right stuff stuff, brought that expression into wider use. That's where I learned about what it meant. 
Well, I guess that's it for today, Bob Rickman. We've enjoyed being on OK Boomer, and if uh, folks want to listen to more of The Off-Ramp, they can go to our website, theofframp.show. That's theofframp.show, and listen to some of our podcasts. And thank you very much, Bob. And thanks for that microphone you sent me. You're hearing that on OPK Boomer from WDBX. Um, and I'm, I'm also a pilot. I was a flight instructor years ago. And um, you push the envelope and then you bail out. Okay, Boomer. All right. It wasn't that funny, but what the heck? I'm a Boomer. And now let's talk about how the pandemic has affected jobs and retirement with Mark Miller, host of the podcast, Repurpose Your Career. Repurpose Your Career is for those of us in the second half of our lives. Now, Mark Miller has made six career pivots over the last 30 years and has examined closely the pandemic. Well, it's, the fact is, the pandemic changed, number one, um, employment. Who thought that we would be, you know, half the people in the country would be doing at least some form of remote work? Um, our buying habits have changed. No one's going to the movie theaters. Um, AMC just announced they're doing tiered pricing. And, and in fact, there was a very good thing on NPR, um, yesterday on their, on their, you know, it was PBS, uh, news hour on the fact is the movie industry is just, they're, they're struggling trying to figure out yet. There's, there's more movies being produced now than ever before. And the vast majority aren't going to the theaters. We're not going to the movies, but by the way, we're going to live music events like crazy. I was at one over the weekend. Right? Um, we're not going to the gyms. Gyms are struggling. Uh, by the way, our buying habits during the pandemic. Um, who would have thought that that there would be an explosion of buying groceries online? And by the way, 75% of those people who are buying groceries online are over 50. Uh, who would have thought? Who would have thought? Uh, because I thought the people buying online were lower than 50. They, they, they were less than 50 years old. I, I didn't think the. Well, it's, it's, it, this is, this is grocery shopping. Now, who would have thought that amazon and walmart and a bunch of regional like uh, heb would be building dark grocery stores customers never go into them it's all pickup and delivery oh, wow right um the way we order food the delivery systems um there are now dark kitchens that is that is restaurants that have no in in-house dining um a number of the fast food um including mcdonald's are starting to build um outlets that have no ins in-house seating it's all pickup by the way we're not going to funerals and if we go to funerals they're not near the time this other person died but we're going to lots of weddings by the way, there was a very good article in the Washington Post written by Mark Foster, who was on my, I got on my podcast. That's one of the advantages of having a podcast. I had him on two weeks after the article, and all I had to do was reach out to him and ask him, could you come in and talk about the article? And he's a senior editor for the Washington Post. Uh, fascinating stuff. He All the things, at the same time, we have a record number number of open jobs 
They just don't match what people want. Let me ask you specifically for a boomer, what does a boomer want and what jobs are available? Well, right now, what you for a lot of people of our age are not looking going into the office. Well, of the 10 million jobs open, the vast majority are in person. By the way, there is a massive number of jobs open in the hospitality and entertainment industry. Travel and hospitality, I should say. Um, one of the things that happened in the pandemic was when the pandemic hit, everything shut down. So restaurants, hotels, and there were about 8 million people laid off. By the time we opened back up in late 2021, of those 8 million, there are only about 2 million left who are still unemployed. Well, where'd they go? Oh, they went to work for Amazon. By the way, most hospitality jobs suck, right? They're hard, it's, they're hard work. They don't pay very well. But they can go. They can go work in distribution, drive trucks. I've known people who uh, end up going to work for FedEx. You talk about uh, boomers, people. Yes. Yeah. Um. And what we're finding is, and and this is like use example right now, tech is laying off people like crazy. Well, by the way, there are still more people working in technology today than there were in 2019. Really? They they went on a binge of, well, Facebook grew their employment by 40% during the pandemic. They went on a hiring spree, thinking all of this, nothing would change, which we know is BS. Um, and so we're seeing a massive number of layoffs. So we're, and by the way, tech is a relatively small, it's only about 2% of the employment. It's, it's very small um, versus hospitality uh, entertainment, uh, sorry, travel hospitality is running at about 35%. Mm. So similarly, it's like right now during the holidays, we had had Southwest airlines, total and complete meltdown. Yep. Okay. Well, one of the problems the airlines have is when when we hit the pandemic, they got a lot of people retired. They incented a lot of people retire, especially pilots. Well, then come 2021, 2022, we have this huge spike in what we call revenge travel, right? Leisure travel. Well, by the way, the airlines don't make money off leisure travel. The bargain basement the travel, travel. they travel all the business travel has not come back and may never come back because of all the remote work that's, that's occurring virtual. Like we're doing now. Yes. Yes. So, and the problem they have is they see these huge spikes in traveled during spring break, during the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, new year's, Easter, we see all these huge spikes in travel, yet they don't see the tr business travel that kind of levels things out in between. And the other problem is to bring on a new pilot is a, and, and even if the retired pilots came back, 
they can't just suddenly come back. They have to get recertified. Yes, I'm a pilot myself. I was a flight instructor. Taught people how to fly so I could see, no, you can't just come back and start flying. you got to be retrained. And, it That's might, right. and you might not qualify physically. There, there could be a lot of reasons. We have a huge mismatch mm -hmm. in employment. We also saw a huge number of people retire. We we saw a huge, we had about 2 million extra people. By the way, about 2 million people retire every year. Mm -hmm. That's been historically over the last 15, 20 years. Um, and what we had an excess of over two, two and a half million extra people retired in 2021. 2020, and you're going, well, who are these people? Well, by the way, there I've had um, Teresa Giladucci on my podcast. From she's a researcher, and um, she's from the Schwartz School of New School of Economic Policy, and we know that a lot of these people okay, were people but... our age who decided I can't work. They've been unemployed for over a year. They say, screw it. I'm a, I'm a retire. These are largely people of color and lower socioeconomic groups. Well, number one, they all said, I'm going to retire. Now, okay, by the way, these yeah. are the people who are least, least prepared to retire. Okay. Now, some of them may have seen their, um, their retirement portfolios grow, particularly in the early part of the the pandemic. And I had my, my, I joke, my brother, the other Mark Miller on my podcast, he has the retirement revised podcast. People are ready, are financially ready to retire um, when they think they are now. Doesn't mean they always will be. As their portfolios go up, as we know, the last year has not been good. No, I can see Ooh. that. Right. And um, as he said, Mark said, uh, they're ready to retire until they're not. And next time, Mark Miller and I will talk about that quote. We just heard that boomers are ready to retire until they're not. Mark Miller hosts the broadcast podcast, Repurpose Your Career, and you can find it uh, wherever you can get your podcasts. Now, as for that kid who interrupted Mark with the... Okay, Boomer. All right, we're talking about you. Uh, you're not getting a cookie at the end of the broadcast. Sorry, we have to have some discipline around here. All right, time for some serious stuff. Uh, when we were growing up, some of the early baby boomers, uh, we were growing up post-World War II during the atomic age. And... Uh, it was a tense age because we were at odds with uh, the Soviet Union. And let's go back to that time and compare it to what's going on right now. It'll be up to you. Now, as Mark Twain said, history does not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Okay, it's up to you to find the rhyme here. Edward R. Murrow reports. We take you now to Operation Crossroads. Albert Einstein had said, against an atomic explosion, there is no real defense. And most other scientists had agreed with him. On June 30th, 46, we exploded the new bomb over Bikini Lagoon to determine what it could do and what human beings could do to protect themselves against it. Firing time, 20 we, seconds. We do not know how it's going to sound, but 42,000 men here are watching, tensely awaiting that explosion. Firing time, 
All of the observer ships... Ten seconds. All of the observer ships are in position in the open sea. We're about ten miles away. I Five can seconds. see the target. Four, three, two, one... Listen. We are here to make a choice between the quick and the dead. That is our business. That was the unfamiliar voice of one of America's most familiar faces as he stood before the United Nations and presented a plan by which international control of atomic energy might have kept pace with its destructive power. Bernard M. Baruch. I was moved in the afternoon of my life shall I say, in the last and the late afternoon of my life, to add my effort to gain the world's quest by the broad mandate under which we were created. We of this nation, desirous of helping to bring peace to the world and realizing the heavy obligations upon us arising from our possession of the means of producing the bomb, are prepared to make our full contribution toward effective control of atomic energy. We propose this. One manufacturer of atomic bombs shall stop. Mr. Baruch, speaking for the United States, also proposed destroying all existing bombs and the sharing of our atomic know-how, provided adequate international control and inspection could be established. По контролю над атомной энергией, созданная согласно решению Московской конференции, первой сессии Генеральной Ассамблеи должна приступить к практическому осуществлению поставленных. MacArthur remained in command in Japan. Marshall was in China, trying to bring peace between Chiang Kai-shek and the communists. The Council of Foreign Ministers failed for the fourth time in Paris. Hamburger was a dollar a pound when you could get it. OPA lay dying, and when it was finally dead, Truman blamed Congress, and the Congress blamed Truman. And in Nuremberg, Germany, humanity prepared its case against those who had so nearly destroyed it. I will now call upon the defendants to plead guilty or not guilty to the charges against them. Hermann Wilhelm Göring. Ich bekenne mich im Sinne der Anklage nicht schuldig. Rudolf Hess. Nein. That will be entered as a plea of not guilty. Joachim von Ribbentrop. Ich bekenne mich im Sinne der Anklage für nicht schuldig. These were the errors to Hitler's guilt, as they might have been to his victory. Nicht schuldig. Hjalmar Schacht. These were the heroes of Lidigy, Felsen, Buchenwald and Malmedy. All 21 defendants pled not guilty, and a few Americans found it possible to agree with them. Supreme Court Justice Robert Jackson, our chief prosecutor, spoke for most of us. If you were to say of these men that they are not guilty, it would be as true to say there has been no war, there are no slain, there have been no crimes. All but three of the defendants were found guilty. This is Arthur Gates reporting from Nuremberg for the Combined American Networks. I was an eyewitness to the execution of the wilted, 
false flower of Nazidom, but I only saw ten Nazis die. Wilhelm Hermann Goering, guilty on all four counts, the man whom Justice Jackson described as half militarist and half gangster, escaped his fate of hanging by committing suicide at 10.45 last night, less than three hours before he would have been executed. In France, de Gaulle was out of power. In Washington, the last two members of the Roosevelt cabinet, Ickes and Wallace, were out. 400,000 coal miners were out of the pit, and John L. Lewis was in contempt of court. And after 14 lean years, the Republicans were in. And enough, vote Republicans! This is Robert Trout reporting at 2 o'clock in the morning here in New York. And it's definite. This election of November 5th, 1946, the election of the 80th Congress, not a presidential year, has been decided. And for the first time since Franklin Roosevelt swept the Democrats into power in 1932, the Republicans have won control of both the Senate and the House, and by substantial majorities. Appalachian Spring, and that was the theme for Edward R. Murrow's Hear It Now. And uh, it'll be up to you to decide whether what you just heard actually rhymes with what's happening today. We'll be hearing from Murrow periodically. Okay, that was rather somber, wasn't it? Oh, we're almost at the end of the program. It's time for another cup of coffee. Now, this was recorded about 10 years ago, and it talks about coffee back then. So let's go back into the past 10 years with a cup of Joe with Robert. Cup of Joe with Robert. And a cup of tea with Kerry. Mm, We're talking coffee, coffee. Coffee. And? More coffee. Americans love their coffee, as Zagat found out, in its first coffee survey of 1,700 Java junkies. For instance, people who drink coffee daily enjoy 2.2 cups of brew on average. The Zagat survey also delved into how often people drink coffee, what they put it in, how much they would pay for it, when they started the habit, and so much more. Here are Zagat's findings. Well, my finding is I started when I was seven or eight. I thought it was two years old. Yeah, possibility. I don't remember that far back. Now, but but the official findings, how often do you consume coffee drinks every day? 83%. That's my way of doing it. A few times a week, 12%. A few times a month, 2%. And a few times a year, 1%. How much is too much for a regular coffee? The average is $3.52. And how much is too much for a barista prepared coffee drink? Average, four eighty six. How did the economic downturn affect your coffee drinking habits? Coffee habits were not affected by the downturn, 65%. Switched to making coffee at home, 23%. Ordered less expensive coffee drinks, 8%. Drank less coffee overall, 6%. 
Ordered smaller coffee drinks, 3%. Changed where I buy my drink, 3%. And could you eliminate coffee from your diet if you wanted to? And my personal answer is... No, but other people say 58% yes and 42% no. What age did you start drinking coffee? 10 to 14, 20%, 15 to 19, 44%, 20 to 24, 22%, don't remember, 2%. That's, that's me. I don't that's remember. me too. Have that with your cup of, what are we talking about? Coffee. I'm Robert Wickman. And I'm Kerry Boylan. Oh, yes. Time for another cup of coffee, and that wraps up. Okay, Boomer, I'm Robert Rickman. I'd like to thank Mark Miller, Bob Smith, Ronnie LaForge, Lauren Becker, Molly Maxwell, Ashley Gibson, and Janice Paul. Have a very good morning and day, and also remember you always have options. <laughs>